right, with that, we welcome back to WDKOK. He's been a regular visitor here, we're very glad to say, from CBS News. He's an author, CBS News political analyst, and professor of communication, and affiliate professor of history at American University, Leonard Steinhorn. Back on the line. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me back. Thanks really, for coming really back. I do appreciate it. Lots of folks are listening to all of this coverage, and of course the nation's more divided than ever. Uh, I'm going to start out by asking you, is our republic in trouble? You always talk me down when I ask you that. It's time again. Well, I'm not so sure I can talk you down this time, <laughs> because, look, our founders said that our government is depends on not just the consent of the governed, but the informed consent of the governed. And if we as a country, or at least parts of the country, refuse to accept facts and evidence and puts forth false claims and misinformation and disinformation, that sort of undermines the very underpinnings of our democratic system, which is a democracy built on persuasion, on debate, on arguing with each other, which is okay. It's okay to have partisan sides. It's okay because people have different lived experiences. They have different perspectives on lies. They have different ideologies. They have different approaches to government and foreign policy and taxes and the economy and our social lives. That's okay. But when we refuse to accept the evidence and the facts on which those debates should be built, um, that's when we have a problem. And if that leads into how our elections are run, in which an election is perceived as stolen just because your side doesn't win, that really does threaten the basic fabric of our democracy. But, Leonard, we've had, as a history professor, I know you know this, we've had uh, instances in our country where there were newspapers that were aligned with political parties. They lied. They made up stories at a time when getting information was much, much harder. So it had a tremendous impact on the way people lived and behaved. How does society deal with that? I mean, how, do we, how do we overcome it? Yeah, that's a good question. And in fact, for the first maybe 40 or so years of our country, we had partisan newspapers. Um, and, and, but what we have now is something more powerful because that stuff spreads virally and it ends up online. And if you go to these Facebook sites and the algorithms continue to drive you to the same site and the same misinformation and the same disinformation because you're seeing it online, you believe it because it seems validated by the very fact that you're seeing something published or something posted. That then confirms people's biases even worse and gets them to lock in even more. And also, let's not forget, yes, we did have fight a civil war over fundamental disagreements in our country. We don't want to go into that space again. Look, in the last century or so, We've had severe disagreements on any number of issues. We've had severe disagreements on foreign policy, on the New Deal, on the Great Society, and the Vietnam War. Um, we disagreed. That's okay. That's what a democracy is all about. That's what our founders understood when they wrote the Federalist Papers, basically designing our democracy in which there will be different factions of people going at each other. But when it ceases to be a democracy of persuasion and evidence, and it begins to be a democracy of falsehood, lies, and misinformation, and as we saw a year ago, violence to overthrow a legitimate election, that's where we have to step back as a country and ask our leaders from both parties to say, enough is enough, we've got to step back, we've got to accept the results of elections that you don't like, we need more of Al Gore from 2000, 
and less of Donald Trump from 2020. And it shouldn't matter which party you're in to be able to say that. Um, because in the long run, if people lose faith in our elections, even when those elections are conducted fairly, which our elections are, they've been certified as fair. There have been no, there's very little election fraud in our country. George W. Bush put together a commission to study election fraud, came up with almost nothing. Donald Trump did the same. They had to disband his commission because they came up with almost nothing. So let's keep our democracy on the level of persuasion and evidence and may the best argument win an election. And that's where we should be. But if we deny that, we're heading down a bad path. And I think it's up to our leaders to basically have the courage to step up. You look at some of the Republicans on this January 6th commission, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, they may disagree vehemently with the Democrats on that committee on any number of issues. I mean, I've spoken with Liz Cheney. She doesn't like the Democrats on foreign policy. She doesn't like the Democrats on social policy. She doesn't like the Democrats on economic policy. But she stands for something bigger, and that's the health of our democracy. Well, Tracy Campbell wrote a great book called Deliver the Vote, and it talks about America's history of voter fraud. So, it, you know, isn't it, isn't it reasonable to be skeptical about the results of this election? Not if, when it's been validated repeatedly, um, and they've gone through and checked the votes two or three times in all of these states. Um, and, and when you have commissions in the last 20 years that couldn't find evidence of this, the truth is, is that there really is very little evidence of voter fraud. Yeah, it may have happened in years past. And yeah, more recently, it may have happened in the 1960 election when John Kennedy was made a president. But of all people, Richard Nixon understood that to question that election and to create a constitutional sort of uh, upheaval by questioning that election wouldn't have been right. So even Richard Nixon decided to say, I accept the election of John F. Kennedy. But since then, we have far more sophisticated ways to, to make sure that our elections are fair with very, very little fraud. There are going to be cases here and there. You've seen a few cases, even from the 2020 election, but nothing that even approaches uh, uh, any fraction of a level that would affect it, uh, the results of the election. Look, we want to celebrate free enterprise in this country, but businesses are still sometimes corrupt. Things happen. People are people. But we can't sort of magnify the very, very few cases and to suggest that this is something that's generalized and overly broad and will, will change the election. And when you hear the former president of the United States go to the secretary of state of Georgia, who is a Republican, who vetted the election results, and they counted them three times in Georgia. And to say to that person, you need to come up with, well, the number was about almost 12,000 votes to put me over the top, that's election fraud, not what actually happened on election day last year. What's the look at way Tracy out? Campbell. Look Hold at on, Tracy. Joe. Uh, Joe. What's okay. the way out on this? You know, what can we? We'll we'll be stuck. Is if you think about the Civil War, you use that one as an example when we were super divided. We still have people who don't agree why the Civil War was fought and uh, still don't accept uh, blacks in our society. What's our way out on this? Well, look, and you even go more recently with Watergate. You had, uh, when all the evidence was out there, we heard the tapes, and you still had about 25 to 30 percent of Americans who, you know, supported Richard Nixon and thought Watergate was a big made-up deal and sort of a conspiracy against him. Um, 
So, so that's always going to happen. There are going to be people stuck in their own partisan concrete and unable to move. But what you have to be able to do is present the evidence and the arguments to the critical mass of Americans, but also put country above party. Um, that is what Richard Nixon did in 1960. That is what Al Gore did in the year 2000. Both of them desperately wanted to be president, and you could argue may well have been had certain conditions been different. Um, but they put country over party. Uh, and look, um, that's what we have to do in, in this country, is we have to start talking with each other, humanizing each other, stop going into our own siloed media environments that are driven on social media by algorithms that just confirm our own perspectives and our own biases. We have to have these conversations and realize that somebody who's a liberal wants to raise their kids well, have good schools, work hard, uh, enjoy their life the same way that somebody who's a conservative is. And then you talk and humanize each other and realize that maybe you can find some common ground to work together and solve the country's problems. And I'll just say one more thing along those lines, because I'm a professor and I have students from wildly different political perspectives and backgrounds in my classes. But because they're in the same class and they will often work together on group projects or study together, guess what? They listen to each other, they talk to each other. They'll say to me, yeah, I disagree with so-and-so, but I'm really glad to hear her point of view. Don't we need more of that as a country? We have to find platforms that don't divide us the way Facebook does, but unite us and bring us together and have people talking with each other. How we achieve that, if I knew the exact answer, I'd be in Oslo getting the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> um, but, but we have to try. And it's through shows like yours that becomes a, a major part of what we have to do, which is to have these conversations. It's really so important for what you, what you all are doing is so important for the health of our democracy. We need more of you. But don't you find somewhat hypocrisy, some, some amount of hypocrisy in the fact that people on the left, you know, all agree with Stacey Abrams, her election was stolen, and you know, yet they can't agree with Donald Trump, wanting to look at it and say, uh, let's examine this and see whether or not there was fraud here, too. Well, look, I think any potential accusations of fraud ought to be looked at, but they were looked at in all of those states. You know, in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Georgia and Arizona, they were looked at. Even the sort of Republican-driven uh, election audit in Arizona, which was driven in a partisan way, basically said that, yes, Joe Biden won that state. So if there are accusations, yeah, look at them. But don't make statements with no evidence just because you're a sore loser. Um, Fair enough. So, you know, that's the difference here. And look, you know, where Stacey Abrams was coming from, she should have accepted the results more, more wholeheartedly. But the one gripe she did have that does give anybody pause is that the person who she ran against, who defeated her, um, was the same person running the elections in that state. So, yeah, if Joe Biden were running the elections in all of those states that Donald Trump were, was, was contesting, it might, it might raise an eyebrow. Um, but in the long run, Stacey Abrams has accepted Brian Kemp as governor and is going to run against him again. Um, but should she have accepted it and publicly? Probably should have. Should she have raised questions and say it's probably not right? We need a state law to make sure that anybody running an election uh, shouldn't be up for election running the state to run the state. That should be in, in the place. Um, but the bottom line is this. Um, we, if we don't have faith 
in our elections, and our elections are fair. Even the person who ran cybersecurity um, in the in the Trump administration, he basically was fired from his job because he said it was a fair, the fairest and safest election we've ever had. Um, if we don't have faith that the people running these elections are doing the job in a nonpartisan manner, just to be able to record the will of the democracy, then we're in trouble. And if we put people in those positions who are partisans who only want one result and sort of monkey the evidence to create that, then we're even in more trouble. And if you want to see polarization uh, 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 sort of expand, uh, uh, get squared or, to the, or cubed or to the fourth power, put people in charge of elections and put state legislatures in charge of certifying elections that only want it one way, because then we will undermine our democracy. One final question for you, Dr. Steinhorn. Briefly. All right. Well, how do you see this playing out in the Senate? Do you think they'll change the rules so that they can ram through a voting rights bill that is probably strictly partisan on the left? Or do you think that the Senate will hold firm and Manchin and Cinema will say, no, we're not going to change the rules of the Senate? Well, again... Um, you know, you have to be careful about calling something partisan because everything is partisan these True. days, um, with some exceptions. Are there legitimate things in that bill that would make sense? Sure, we should have election day as a day off. I mean, you know, everybody should be able to vote who's eligible to vote, and we shouldn't be putting blockades and restrictions on that. We also have a big problem with gerrymandering on both sides of the aisle, Democratic and Republican, because mm -hmm. here's what happens. When you protect your incumbents with uh, districts that are 10, 20, 30 points in favor of your party, then we tend to elect people who are more highly partisan rather than people have to reach across the middle of the aisle um, and, and appeal to voters on the other side or independents on the other side. So if you want to guarantee more polarization, you keep our gerrymandering and redistricting process as is, um, and, and that's a big problem. So there are legitimate things in that bill which would be great to discuss, but you can't even discuss it if <laughs> there's a filibuster in place and you refuse to allow it to the floor to come up for debate. So the filibuster shouldn't be used as an excuse to avoid debate and avoid persuasion and avoid making your case to the American people. So this is where the problem is at right now. You can't even bring a bill to the floor of the Senate if you don't have 60 votes. You want paralysis in the Senate? That's how you have it. How you get around it, I don't know, because I think Manchin and Sinema have legitimate concerns that if you, you know, get rid of the filibuster, um, then, then you don't have to reach across the aisle on things. But we've gotten to such a polarized point in our country that attempts to reach across the aisle are indeed very rare. They happen occasionally, like with the infrastructure bill, but it doesn't happen often enough. And therefore, the problems of our society continue to go unsolved. Thank you so much Thank you, for your appearance today. Always great to talk to you. Yep. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. You guys are great. Well, I appreciate it. We'll look forward to having you back. <laughs> Take care. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Oh. Leonard Steinhorn, American University professor of history and communications, CBS uh, political analyst.